0: Ever wondered why we feel the need to fill every moment of our children's time with activities? What would happen if we just left them to their own devices to maybe get a little bit bored like we did when we were kids? You see, that's when the magic happens. Or so says my guest today. Adele Cleaver is a play worker and mum of two who believes that children should be given space to just make their own play. She has written a book called Children Don't Dissolve in the Rain, which is all about encouraging kids to do their own thing. And for us as parents not to feel the need to overstimulate them with clubs and organised activities. She says it's okay for us to just step back and let them get on with it, even if they fail, because this learning will set them in good stead for the future. Welcome back to Brummy Mummies. My name is Zoe Chamberlain. I'm a journalist, author and mum. I launched From Your Mummies as a community for families to share with you stories from the most inspiring mums and dads to help you find out how they juggle family life and everything that comes with it. Adele says we should rethink our expectations as parents and just take the pressure off ourselves and kids. Now this is something I want to know more about, so let's get straight into talking to Adele. Hi Adele, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Hi Zoe, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk all about play. It's something that really fascinates me. Why do you think it's so important both for parents and kids? I know on social media you talk about how play makes you feel like you glow and it's all about Mm. letting your hair down. Can you tell me
1: a bit more about that? I think um, I just noticed with parenthood and hanging out with parents more that we forget to play. There's so many things to do along the way. And society generally thinks that it's just children that need to play. But I firmly believe that adults need to play too. See, I love that.
0: Mm. So how do we play as adults? What are some of the things that we can do? Because I think you're right. We do forget how to do it.
1: So I trained as a play worker over 10 years ago. And in playwork theory, we talk about play as something that is, or a set of behaviors that are freely chosen, personally directed, and intrinsically motivated. And so those are the three elements that I always put towards my own play. And for adults, that's quite varied. For children, we can kind of recognize children playing. But for adults, we don't always know. And so it's really about going in, listening to ourselves, digging a bit deeper than what's just at the surface and, and really, um,
0: yeah, listening. What are those things for you? Just to kind of give us
1: an example. I love raving. I love dancing. I don't like choreography. I like just moving my body the way I want to move my body. Um there's 16 different types of play and playwork theory and one of them is locomotor play, which is movement for movement's sake. So when you see kids whizzing around and jiggling their shoulders or just having a little wiggle like mid-flow, that's, that's what I really love for myself. I also really love uh, communication play, so writing, playing with words, talking to people, making up rhymes, um, games that involve words and talking are really important to me. And what are some of the other things that people might like
0: to do for themselves? Is it about getting out in nature, that kind of thing? Not
1: necessarily. It's really about what motivates them as an individual. So my husband, for example, is a complete opposite to me. We're very chalk and cheese and he loves sitting and watching a film. Like if he listens to himself, listens to his gut, what he really wants to do is stay home and watch film and not talk to anybody. So it's really, really varies. Somebody else might like to make something with their hands. Somebody else might like to uh, go out in nature, like you say. Some people might like to swim in cold water. Other people might, I don't know, it's... it's, uh, Play is as universal as, as humans are. Like There are so many different things that we can interpret as play when we use the three elements of something that is freely chosen, something that is personally directed, and something that's intrinsically motivated. It's like, what do we want to do for ourselves today in this moment? That is what I interpret as play. So talking a bit
0: about your own personal story, I know when your daughter was three, you sadly suffered your second miscarriage. Mm, yeah, And you said you decided to leave your part-time job at a youth project and take some time out to prioritise your own play. So what did prioritising your own play involve? How did you
1: figure that out? For me, it was about uh, not rushing so much. I'm like, I'm a sort of person that likes to get things done, like I'm efficient and productive. And so slowing down was really important to me. And when I slowed down, I I realized that I really enjoyed my own company more. I didn't have to be out socializing with people all the time. I didn't have to be this kind of uh, extroverted person that I always thought that I was. I really enjoyed a slower pace. I realised that I had been blocking myself from writing for a really long time and telling myself that my words weren't worth sharing. And I've realised now that um, that's just not true. I've had such great feedback from my book, and I think if I hadn't taken that time to slow down and prioritise my own play, I wouldn't have come to writing. I also did um, a really powerful therapeutic course called The Artist's Way, It's a book by Julia Cameron and I did it as a um, a study group and it was brilliant. A lot of um, what Julia Cameron goes through in that 12-step program, to me, I interpreted as play about recognising your own creativity, prioritising time for creating, just for creating sake, not for um, publication or... um, financial gain just just for yourself just for topping up you know you can't you can't pour from an empty cup they say and this was a a time for me to really top myself up. So why do you think it is that we sometimes look back
0: and think I know I do I look back and think I used to be more laid back and fun loving (laughs) (laughs) what do you think why do you think that playful part of us sometimes gets
1: buried in parenthood? Capitalism. You know, we're told that we need to work and earn money and life is expensive, no doubt about that at the moment. But um, in my book, I I describe play as what children do when adults don't interrupt and what adults do when capitalism doesn't interrupt. Like, as a a society, we're very fixated on productivity, on um, timekeeping, on... Uh, producing you know it's all about production which comes from the, the capitalist model if you want to go down the economics route ah, I don't but um, I think we, we as parents we have a lot of pressure on ourselves to to be doing stuff with our kids, you know, my mum's generation, she said there was one play group a week at the church hall and that was it. The rest of the time you were at home and you were potting around with your kids. And now there is an industry, you know, dedicated to, to children, children's activities, filling childhood. And we're the first generation, I think, that really had to contend with childhood as a commercial realm. And that puts pressure on us as um, as consumers, as people with money, as decision makers, to fill that time for children. Because now suddenly we're being spoon-fed all these activities that we can do for our children: uh, uh, days out, if your kids, summer holidays. Like um, I'm sure, centre parks is amazing for a lot of families, but it's a really um, obvious or to me a really obvious way of like really jam-packing your time there's all these activities to do blah 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 and when do you just sit and listen to your kids or sit and watch what your kids are doing and you know camping is a really like slow you have to walk to the tap to fill up your kettle to make a cup of tea it really slows down your pace of being and I think that's something our generation has really forgotten or lost is that You know, people talk about the art of slow living, don't they? And play and and slowness really go together.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think we are all guilty of trying to cram too much in all the time. Yep. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in TEAM. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the TEAM's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So do you think play can happen anywhere? You know, can it be in the car or stood waiting for the (gasps) bus? And how do we make it
1: a bit more spontaneous? I think for children who are... In their flow of play, play can happen everywhere. I think for adults, because we're a little bit more reserved and a little bit more cautious, we need to create a time and a space to play. I think we, um, you know, like we need to mentally get in the the realm of playing, and that's why some people really struggle to play as adults because they can't get past that mental block. Living playfully for me isn't about like brightly coloured clothes or fancy toys or really um, like quirky interior design. Like those things can be playful for people. But for me, it's more about my how I feel, how I respond to situations, how I plan my day, how I plan my week. I um here's a really good example so it's my birthday back in December 27th of December it's like one of the worst days to be born because nobody wants to go out and party and everyone's busy with family and such but um this year I decided to gather a few people for a walk in the countryside um text them on the 24th and said this is what I'm doing on the 27th if anyone's available it'd be really nice to see you and then on Boxing Day night on the 26th I was I just had so much fun the last few days that I really just wanted a day by myself and so I text everybody and said I've cancelled my birthday walk I'm going for a walk by myself and for me that was like creating an opportunity for me to play by myself. I listened to myself. It was a freely chosen decision. It was personally directed. It was intrinsically motivated. I did something for me. And on my walk, I didn't have to... Uh, perform to anybody. I didn't have to organize anybody. I didn't have to answer my phone to anybody. I took off my shoes. I walked barefoot. I sat in a field. I sang out loud. I did all these things that felt really good to me in that moment because I would created that time and space for me to play. And I think that's something that um, in parenthood is really, really important, but also really difficult. Like, I don't have money at the moment for childcare. I'm not working. Um, I'm on a, a prolonged maternity leave. And so, childcare is uh, friends doing me favours or grandparents when they come to town to see us. Um, I don't have that regular window. And I've been feeling it this year. Like, I have not played enough this year. It's. It's been tough having two children, really, really tough. But when I look back and reflect, I think oh, yes, yeah, because I, I didn't prioritize my own play. I didn't create those, those times and spaces, but I have an awareness of it. So I can see that now. And I think that's what I'm trying to do for more parents is bring about that awareness of creating, you know, it could just be half an hour here and there. It could be four hours a week. It could be a whole day a month. It could be... week like when my daughter was uh two she went to Portugal with my husband for a week to see her grandparents and I just created this whole week of play for myself um and it wasn't about filling every minute and having this fun activity to do and that fun activity it was it was about slowing down and creating space and listening to myself and that's that's what we forget to do and we really forget to do it for our children as well I think that's that's a big message: is how can we just let go and stop controlling our, our children's time so much?
0: Yeah, we definitely do do that, don't we? Do you think going back to what you were saying about prioritising what you want to do? Do you think there's an element of guilt that we sometimes feel that you know we had not to make ourselves our number one priority?
1: Yeah, I hear guilt as a as a word being thrown around a lot in parenthood, and it, I don't feel it. I don't. I don't feel it as guilt. I feel it as Pressure, but I know some parents do feel guilty a lot of the time, and I think it's a tricky one because I because I know how important doing nothing for our children is. I feel empowered by doing that, and I think that's the message I'm trying to share with people: is like play is empowering. Children grow confident when they play in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, I think we. We see a lot of emotions from children that are really worn out, like they're overstimulated. They're being told a lot of things. They're being given a lot of information, but they're not given a lot of time to to process. And play is a process. We're not talking about a product at the end. We're not talking about children's activities when an adult stands up at the front of the room and says, now let's do this stage of the, the activity. Now let's do this stage. Play in my world is is a space where adults sit at the side. I encourage parents to bring a picnic, bring a book, sit down, relax, and let their children play in the space that I've created as playworkers we um we create spaces and protect the space for children to play freely so we're not stood up joining in unless a child invites us in we're not leading an activity we're not um you know, saying, oh, everyone follow me now. And a lot of adults really struggle with that because that's all they've ever experienced is, um, is adult-led situations. School is a, is a great example of uh, an adult-led agenda being put on children and there being very little time for children to take their own autonomy or lead their own thinking or given time even to make mistakes. You know, it's like, this is the way we do something and that's the way we do it and that's that whereas in free play a child might be building something that falls down several times but they've got the time and the space to try and rebuild that and when we have adults that are okay with seeing children fail and are okay with being quiet that's when the the magic really happens you know children figure things out for themselves and they are so so capable and I think we don't see their capabilities enough.
0: I think that's really fascinating. I mean, I think that we do just feel the need to intervene, like you say. We do, yeah. And and why do you think it is that we're scared of
1: letting go of control? For me, I think adults have reservations about children playing freely because they're worried about possessions getting broken or, I don't know, the house getting messy or... Just not knowing what's going to happen next, and and that feels uneasy for a lot of adults. Um, I find it really exciting, and I love not knowing how my day is going to unfold with my children. But to a lot of adults, that's that's not fun. That's scary. You know, it's uh, it's probably very deep rooted in a lot of uh, generations of having different levels of control put on us. My, my granddad was an artist, so he lived uh, in, a, in a creative flow most of his adult life. And I think I've absorbed some of that freedom. It also, I should say, feels like a total huge privilege that I can have this extended maternity leave with my children and have this time to really embrace play because it isn't possible for all families like it's it's just it's just not it's just not financially viable to have so much time at home with your children and I think my message to those families is make the time that you do have your children free and free-flowing and full of play rather than putting pressure on yourselves to fill weekends with numerous trips out
0: Yeah. Do you think sometimes that's about maybe a fear of missing out, particularly if you're a busy working parent and you've, as you say, you've got little time to play with your children. It's precious time you feel like you want to be involved and do all the play with them rather than
1: sitting back and watching them. I think that's really about the adult as an individual and what what do they think they are going to bring to their Child's experience. Like sometimes we have to go really deep in play. Play isn't always fun. Sometimes play is very serious. It's ways for children to make sense of the complex world that they find themselves in. And so sometimes play can be really sad. You know, the last few years, particularly through the pandemic, there's been a lot of play observed that is around death and illness and children reenacting hospital situations. And I think if parents and caregivers, adults that are around children can stop and actually really listen and and observe what is happening in a child's play, sometimes they think, actually, my contribution isn't, isn't valuable to this or let's just see where this is going because actually my child's working through some big emotions through their play right now. And I think when... When we realise the the seriousness of play and the, the side of play that isn't just fun and giggles, then we can start to give more respect to children's space to play in a way that is meaningful and empowering and gives them confidence to unravel some really complex situations. Do you think it's a bit like when we were younger... We were just
0: left to our own devices a we bit were, more, you yeah. know that whole idea of you yeah. go out in the morning and not come back till the street came on, and you know. So I, I cannot
1: tell you how many people recount those kind of <laughs> situations. Like we were left to our own devices. I lived on a busy road, so I didn't play out on my street, but my friend lived on a quiet cul de sac. We were just out in the street for hours, just pottering around. None of the adults knew what we were getting up to. But there was always a group of us. It was mixed age play, and we were safe, and and that's really missing now. And I think, rather than leaving just an empty gap, people have seen oh, there's a there's an opportunity to to fill that gap with um, a dance class, or fill that with a sports academy, or fill that with a arts and crafts group, or fill that with. Uh, a board games group or whatever. These are all valuable sociable experiences for children, but it's not play. It's an adult-led group. And there will be children that are excluded from those groups because their way their brain is wired will not understand or respond to their, the direction from the adults. So I've worked with a lot of neurodiverse children and the sort of play that we create in these free spaces is really empowering for them because they're not following the group, they're following their own lead and that's a really beautiful and meaningful experience for them and it needs to happen more.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up, I'd find Sundays boring, so I'd find ways to fill my time. whereas I think Let now children I a, get
1: bored. Yes yeah,
0: <laughs> It's like now I, I'd kind of feel feel funny
1: if my children were bored, but that's not that's not a bad thing, is it? It's not it's really, really not. And I think we're so quick to give a child a screen now, and it's screens are filled every gap in our day you know we stood waiting for a bus stop or we just grab our phone out of our pocket and just have a look at it or uh, pop it back in our pocket like there's no there's no space anymore every space can be filled with something and going back to my recovery from my second miscarriage and the artist way the artist way is all about creating space so there's one week where um we have no technology like can you imagine like a week of not looking at emails not looking at your phone it's all right for like work if you're going to work 9 to 5 but your your free time is uh no tech it's it was really really incredible to have that amount of space for myself and the the thoughts that come to your mind when you have have that space so my invitation to people is to switch your phone off a little more often or keep it in a cupboard i'm guilty of it but um you know just have five minutes with a cup of tea and start swiping and 35 minutes later you're still in front of instagram or facebook or whatever it's like you could be just resting your mind in that time and all kinds of magic can come to your mind when it's a little bit freer of thoughts it really does eat into our time doesn't it Mm. and I think that
0: does impact on children, doesn't it? Because they just expect to have a screen all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we resort to creativity when we're bored. Like mm. boredom leads to creativity, no doubt about that. And creativity leads to innovation eventually. Uh, we all need to invent new ways of being, living, living, creating new technologies all these sorts of things there's um uh, a while ago i read an article from from a employer in japan and they didn't ask people what their qualifications and adult experiences were they asked had they played in childhood and the kids that had had free play in childhood and had uh, not been going to piano lessons and swimming lessons and this and that they they recruited all the children that had played freely most of them lived in the countryside where they had that, that freedom to roam uh, because they're the innovators. They're the children mm. that think outside the box. They're the children that aren't waiting for the next instruction to be given to them.
0: What would you say to parents who maybe their children are a little bit older so they perhaps have gone past that stage where they might just go off and be a a fairy or a doctor or something and do that kind of role play play. And they are glued to their phone all the time. How would you try to
1: encourage free play with them? Building. So the bigger the child, the bigger the resources that they need to play with. And so imagine um, babies are given wooden blocks. Teenagers need... Big foam blocks, so that their bodies are challenged. Or a child is given a small car to push around. A teenager needs a tire to be pushed around. You know, it's all about creating play opportunities that are size and risk appropriate to that child. So dotted around the country in Birmingham, there's a great a great adventure playground called Meriden over in um, Chelmsley. They're, they're like playgrounds in parks, but on much bigger scales. So they're considered risky, which is why they need to be staffed by play workers. Um, but they're age appropriate. Teenagers are there and they're feeling the thrill of being on a slide like they were when they were two. Because the slide is that much bigger, it gives that thrill. And what about at home? So without big equipment? I think cooking, having the freedom to use the kitchen to cook food, that is, uh, feels like a sense of accomplishment. You know, lots of teenagers are like, oh, I won't eat this, I won't eat that, or I just want to eat the food that I've made, or I want food put in front of me. But I think having a space to experiment. In the kitchen is a really good way. Like you know, um, I always encourage parents to get a mud kitchen for their toddlers so that they can mix up mud pies and and whatnot. Give your teenagers the kitchen for an afternoon and see what they create. You'd be surprised. Like TikTok's full of people cooking up all sorts of interesting things. Like they've got the um, the inspirations there, but do they have the freedom and the tools to? to create those things I also think that um like that age-appropriate face painting is makeup and so getting creative with makeup when when was the last time your daughter did you makeup for you or your son did you make up for you you know just having that like that that invitation to be a bit freer and less controlling um I know quite a lot of teenagers that have got into sewing and upcycling clothes and so they've got a very normal item and they've got their freedom to express onto an item and then they wear it and they really feel empowered by, by wearing something that they've made. That's great.
0: So your book is Children Don't Dissolve in the Rain. Mm-hmm. um why what's the 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 idea behind that title and and why did you feel the need to write it
1: the title comes from her situations where i've seen adults control children's play and by controlling children's play children aren't playing freely so much excitement and spontaneity comes from playing outside in the rain and i just think A lot of things in in Britain get cancelled or don't happen because it might rain. And spoiler alert, we don't dissolve, you know, like we might get soggy, we might get wet, we might get a bit cold. But life does go on even when it's raining. Um, I wrote it because I felt alienated as a new parent. I was letting my raucous baby wander around and do things in in a way that I wasn't seeing other parents do. I felt really confident as a new parent and I wanted to share some of the, the insight I have from my work as a playworker and little bits of playwork theory to yeah share my wisdom. But I wanted to do it in a way that was relatable. So it's a memoir. It's about my life. Everyone likes a bit of like gossip about a mum on the playground. It's it's lighthearted, it's fun, but it's also very real. Um, you know, talk about the relationship, relationship difficulties between me and my husband when our first child was born, um, the struggles we went through, but how we got through them. I talk about baby loss, I talk about depression in my twenties and uh how i felt more at risk of postnatal depression because of that like there's lots lots of sort of difficult bits to to work through amongst all the beautiful playful exciting giggly
0: bits i know you you wrote it and then you had your second daughter yeah <laughs> And, and then you I said i published it and then 30 days later my second
1: daughter was born wow
0: ah. <laughs> and i know that you've said on social media that you kind of changed the way that you wanted that you parented those very early days mm. why was that and what, what what did you do and what difference did it make to
1: you i just really 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 prioritized rest when my second daughter came along and I asked people to make food for us. I hadn't thought of that for my firstborn. I I said no visitors. Like literally just nested at home on the sofa. We've got a sofa bed in our lounge and we got that out. And the four of us just sat in bed for days, for days and days. We, We all went out as a family on day 12 or day 14. That was the first time we like ventured out and it was it was so necessary and it was so nice to call upon villagers for food like that was just each day it was like oh I wonder what meal's coming today this is going to be fun and it just felt so loving and nurturing um and I think because I'd written the book like friends and family really respected and understood why I was doing it and I'm not saying that everybody's got to write a book before their baby comes along for their families to respect their space. But I I do think that um, this, this notion of fourth trimester, I hadn't heard of it through my first pregnancy. And I just look at the way society nurtures like pregnant women in their third trimester. And we encourage women to sit down more and everyone fusses over the pregnant lady a little bit more and... I think we kind of forget that you need that in the fourth trimester, too. so it felt very empowering. I um, absolutely I really really recommend it to people. just I also um I said no to my in-laws coming to visit. They live over in Portugal, and they were desperate to come, but I said no, I, I want this time in at home. By myself with my family, like with my firstborn, they came when she was a week old. And it was just too much, like to have a house full of people. I was really struggling with breastfeeding. I was still bleeding. I was just not myself in so many ways. Like I was, yeah, but my whole upper body was broken because my nipples were so sore. And to have people around in the house at that point, I really appreciated all the food that was being cooked, but I didn't appreciate, like, People in my home in that time, and I think that everyone focuses on the labour and then forgets what happens next. And yes. I, that that this time around with my second daughter just felt like a really, really magical way to do it there was I did I did hit a, a wall though at week three and I remember my friend coming around she's German and she's very straight talking and she was like Adele you need to go out for a walk by yourself now go and get some fresh air and she's like you've been at home too long <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like actually yeah I had like we we listen to ourselves so much that then sometimes we sort of forget the advice that we would give other people and I did I just needed to go and like get some vitamin D and sit amongst the trees and that is really restorative isn't
0: it To yeah. be able to give yourself that bit of time afterwards I know with my second I'd heard the idea of a baby moon yeah and I, I thought that was such a nice idea and I did much the same thing not for quite such a long time but I did do that and just rested I know you've said that rest is an important part of play do you think that's true All right about parents? rest in my book
1: yeah I've got a whole a whole chapter called rest is vital
0: yeah So that's for parents and children.
1: Yeah, don't fill children's days with too much stuff. They need time in between. And by giving them time in between, we get time in between. And I think also being really explicit about I am playing and I am resting or this is your playtime and this is my rest time. Really um, articulating those things to children from a young age is is going to set them up for a life full of play and full of rest. And I think that's really balanced.
0: That's something we don't always teach our children, is it? How to rest? No. (laughs) Mm, Yeah,
1: it's because we don't know how to do it ourselves. (laughs) My my firstborn particularly is not a rester. It's really interesting when I suggest that she should go and rest she finds that quite a almost like an attack and she gets very emotional and like storms off to her bedroom and lies down and then comes back in a bit of a oh, if you told me to go to bed and I said no no it's not about going to bed it's not about going to sleep it's just about resting it's mm. just about slowing down it's about letting your brain just have those moments just to to be quiet I, th- I talk about her brain being quiet because she's a really bright live wire and and actually just having those moments where your brain can just just be still very important I know you've talked about hibernation play Mm. on Instagram what is that hibernation play is my ode to playing at home I think there's so much on Instagram about outdoor play and that adds another pressure to parents to get out all the time as if children can't play at home and have just as meaningful experiences so hibernation play for me is about uh, prioritizing rest but also about creating make help helping your home to be a more creative play space I often hear parents say that they don't have space indoors for their children to play. And I'm like, come on, there must be a space. How about underneath the dining room table, put a bed sheet over the dining room table and you've got a den. And it took about three seconds. You know, I'm all for parents having quick wins, little little tricks up their sleeve to help play happen more quickly without loads of setup time. Like tough trays, I don't get tough trays. They take hours to set up or they look like they do. They're beautiful, but they'll get wrecked in seconds and I'm not up for that with parents. I think let's make it as easy as possible. Yeah,
0: I'm with you on tough trays. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's about self-discovery for parents whilst their children are discovering like aspects of the world through play?
1: Yeah, totally. You got it. You got it, Zoe? Yeah, I think... Yay! (laughs) um, I think we we only really go inward on ourselves um, in counselling or therapy or when we're going through difficult times but actually going inward and listening to how we feel when we feel good so we can get back to that space of feeling good is really important. So do you think we need
0: to rethink our kind of parenting achievements and mostly our expectations of ourselves and our children.
1: Yeah, I think so. so strive to do less and do more that feels good to yourself. <laughs> there you go. I'll probably put that on a, on a t-shirt. Strive to do less. <laughs> that is such a powerful message.
0: So we have a series of questions that we ask all of our guests. So I'm going to fire them at you if that's okay. So what would be the two things you would tell your
1: 18 year old self if you had the chance you don't need to drink alcohol to have fun and always renew your passport in good time for your next adventure good advice yes (laughs) 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 what would be the
0: three things you love to do every day so what gives you a great well, we've not. We've said you don't like routines. I know, what yeah, it? I
1: read this and I was like, oh no, she's going to ask me about routines. Yeah, um,
0: what gives you a kind of a good start and end to the day or is it absolutely not having a routine at all?
1: I always drink a cup of tea in the morning. Nice. I'm, I really like tea breaks. I really encourage particularly mums to stop and have a cup of tea as often as possible um, and at the play sessions that I run. I always make sure that there's either a cafe nearby where you can grab a cup of tea or bring tea-making equipment with me. Um, The end of the day, I've got two kids that don't like to go to bed, so I'm going to pass on that because the end of the day is really determined by them at the moment. Fair enough. (laughs) I used to write. (laughs) I used to (laughs) write and I used to rave. (laughs) (laughs) You will again. I will again, yes. (coughs) What would be the one
0: piece of advice you would give to a new mum or dad? Stay at home and ask for food. Yes, great advice. Oh, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having
1: me, So Really, really appreciate it.
0: You've given us so many ideas and it's really interesting to just really rethink all of our expectations that we put on ourselves and our children. I think it's really important.
1: I I do like to say that the last bit of my book is really focuses on if the past doesn't feel playful, the future can. So don't beat mm. yourself up for not having a life full of play so far. Or maybe you feel like you've put too much into your kids week already. Like you can change the future. Don't worry about the past. It's gone. But now that you know, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's really
0: empowering. Yeah, we can all start again. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Adele. Take care, Zoe. Bye. Bye. You can find out more about Adele on our Brummy Mummy's Facebook page and Instagram and on the Birmingham Live website. And by visiting her website, org/shop. Copies of her book are available on Amazon and at the Heath Bookshop in King's Heath. This is a laudable production. New episodes come out every fortnight and you can sign up for our free newsletter to hear about the latest editions. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might like to listen to our episodes on play, rest and relaxation with Sarah Bird and with Kate Ford. Plus, we have a special meditation session for parents and kids too. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the podcast. See you next time.